Hello and welcome to the Russia Explained audio brief, based on the English-language newsletter from Novaya Gazeta. I'm Eilish Hart. Every week, we bring you everything you need to know about Russia, courtesy of a legacy independent newspaper. Here's this week's highlights. Russia sees its first confirmed cases of the coronavirus, and as panic sets in, the country cuts itself off from China. We traveled to Vladivostok, Russia's largest city near the Chinese border, where cutting connections is proving to be a challenge. Plus, the 30th anniversary of capitalism arriving in Russia, signs of the Kremlin's repressive machine putting on the brakes, and our campaign to help a couple of young kids in great need. Want to get the full story? Visit our website, www.novayagazeta.ru, for full-length articles in Russian. Russia now has two confirmed cases of the coronavirus, one in the Siberian city of Tumyen and the other in the far eastern region of Zabaykalsky Krai. In response, Moscow has limited air traffic to and from China, and Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin ordered the closure of the border with China in the far east. Russia has also suspended rail links with China and North Korea as a precautionary measure. As of February 2nd, Chinese citizens have been banned from visa-free tourism to Russia and can no longer obtain Russian work visas. If you're looking to keep up with the spread of the coronavirus, we've got you covered. Novaya Gazeta has used machine learning to develop a bot that tracks the number of reported cases and fatalities from the coronavirus around the world. Check it out on Telegram at ng underscore virus underscore report. To see how the outbreak of the coronavirus has affected Russia's Far East, we went to the city of Vladivostok, the country's largest Pacific port and the biggest city near the Chinese border. Vladivostok is a major crossing point for cargo destined for China, and despite the spread of the coronavirus, exports and imports were still flowing last week. Meanwhile, in spite of the restrictions, air travel and automobile traffic continue across the border. Students at Vladivostok's Far Eastern Federal University are enjoying an extended holiday, while international students from China are being advised not to come back to class before March 1st. The university has also turned two dormitory buildings into a quarantine zone in preparation for the 750 students who are meant to return from China. Meanwhile, the city's construction sites have come to a standstill as workers from China aren't allowed to come to work. About 500 Chinese workers were meant to take part in building two new hotels in downtown Vladivostok, but because of the virus, the projects are now frozen. On the whole, the situation in Vladivostok is rather calm, with the exception of some alarmists who are flooding social media with their fears. Seeing local residents walking the streets wearing medical masks is rare, although tourists from South Korea, who have recently been coming to Vladivostok in exponentially growing numbers, are often fully masked. However, since they do this year-round, they don't attract much attention. Back in Moscow, fears about the coronavirus have thwarted plans to mark the 30th anniversary of McDonald's arrival in Russia. The world's most prolific fast food chain, coming to Russia in 1990, has always been a symbol of capitalism returning to the country after the failure of a 70-year-long communist experiment. The anniversary has also become a hot social and political topic since Russians' relationship with McDonald's illustrates the country's worrying development trap. 
Initially, the American chain planned to mark the 30th anniversary event by selling Big Macs at its first location in Moscow at the original price they charged in 1990, three rubles, which is about five U.S. cents. McDonald's even wanted to stage a historical reenactment of the famous hours-long lineup that Soviet citizens joined in 1990 in the hopes of being the first McDonald's customers. All of this was canceled at the last minute due to fears about the spread of the coronavirus, or so the authorities said. Meanwhile, many speculated that the real reason was something other than the coronavirus. There was a fear of a stampede of citizens showing up for free food. The queue at McDonald's was one of the symbols of Soviet citizens breaking through to the territory of the free world, writes Novaya Gazeta Politics editor Kirill Martinov. Thirty years later, the country is still where it started, at least when it comes to foreign fast foods. Today, Western restaurant chains like McDonald's remain some of the most popular in Russia. In many small towns, international fast food places are among the few restaurants where an average income family can go for a Sunday lunch or children's party. The way Martinov sees it, this suggests that Russia is a poor country, since in the United States, chains like McDonald's are frequented by the poorest segments of society. But amid the Kremlin's isolationism and projected anti-Americanism, regular Russians appear to be voting for globalization through their preference for foreign-owned chains. On the other hand, it's no cause for sadness, Martinov concludes. In 2020, the majority of Russian residents want convenient service, not rudeness and the self-isolation of the country. In another popular column this week, politics editor Kirill Martinov points out that Russia has seen a slight slowdown of the repressive machine since the beginning of the year. This has manifested itself in changes to a number of high-profile criminal cases. The policemen who planted drugs on journalist Ivan Golunov were arrested, the case of activist Konstantin Kotov was sent for review, and the Khachaturian sisters, who are on trial for murdering their abusive father after years of torture, are having their case reclassified as self-defense. The way Martinov sees it, this backtracking on repressions is taking place because of the changes to the Russian constitutional system that Putin has initiated, as well as the appointment of a new prosecutor general. The new leadership decided not to provoke citizens into social mobilization during a complicated and scandalous process, he explains. However, whether or not the slowdown on repressions will hold is a matter of political will. The conclusion that should be drawn from all these events is that civic resistance is not futile, especially in such, quote, difficult times for the country, when the Kremlin is manipulating the constitution and the political system, Martinov says. Even if public campaigns in defense of political prisoners do not secure their immediate release, they greatly hinder the path of repression. Before we go, here are the other top stories that Russia has been reading this week. Demolition work on a stadium in St. Petersburg turned deadly after a dramatic collapse killed one worker. The tragedy was captured by drone footage and went viral across the globe. But what wasn't widely reported internationally are the details of the gross incompetence of the construction company owned by Gennady Timchenko, a U.S.-sanctioned billionaire close to Putin. The company began demolition work illegally in October 2019 as part of a grandiose project to turn the site of the Soviet-era arena into a brand-new venue to host the 2023 World Hockey Championship. 
Allying with corrupt Russian officials has gotten one Eastern European leader into major trouble. Our friends at Moldova's legacy investigative newsroom, Ziarul de Garda, have just exposed Moldovan President Igor Dodon's expensive habit of taking luxurious vacations well beyond the means of his modest official salary. Now the Moldovan president plans to sue Ziarul de Garda, and most of his outrage stems from the fact that journalists exposed his 2018 stay at a luxury hotel and spa in Greece, which reportedly belongs to the family of former Russian general prosecutor Yuri Chaika, who was at the epicenter of one of the biggest corruption scandals in Russia just a few years ago. The story of one-year-old Timur Dmitrienka captured our audience this week as Novaya Gazeta kicked off a fundraising campaign to help the child's family. Timur has been diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy, a disease so rare that it's not even included in the Ministry of Health's list of illnesses it covers with free treatment for children. The treatment for the disease is a gene therapy medication called Zolgensma, which costs $2.5 million for a one-time injection. Novaya Gazeta is also raising money to help the family of four-month-old Anya, who suffers from the same disease and therefore needs the same multi-million dollar treatment. We have also launched a petition demanding that the new constitution include guarantees of the right of children with rare diseases to receive assistance purchasing medications. That was this week's Russia Explained audio brief. Thanks for listening. If you liked our brief, share, rate, and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment too and help us to make the audio brief better. To keep up with Novaya Gazeta's reporting, visit our website www.novayagazeta.ru and search Russia Explained. Until next time!